So really the only thing you need to rent an RV and drive one is to have a valid driver's license. Most of the rentals are really similar to driving a truck. Everything's together with you really, really easy. Hello and welcome to Safe Travels. I'm your host, Damien. The Safe Travels podcast is about finding expert advice so that you can enjoy worry-free travel. You've just heard my guest today, Brooke Johnson. We are talking about renting an RV, specifically tips for first-time renters. Brooke runs a company that arranges RV trips for first-timers, so she has some great tips. She will talk about what type to get. She'll talk about where to rent them from. She has campground reservation tips and more. Show notes will be available. You can go to our Twitter feed at Safe Travels FM to find links to that. Please enjoy this talk with Brooke Johnson. Brooke, thank you very much for joining today. Thank you. Excited to be here. Would you mind introducing yourself to the audience so they can understand who you are and what you do? Of course. My name is Brooke Johnson, and I have been organizing road trips for over 15 years or so, and RV road trips specifically for about six years. I'm the owner of Tumbleweed Travel Co., and we organize RV vacations for groups and families in the Western U.S. and Canada. And I'm also an RV owner, so I own a little RV myself and travel and work from it a lot. And your business deals just with renting, planning trips and renting for for people. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. My business focuses on first-time RV travelers or those who don't own their RVs. I do organize sometimes for people who own their RVs, but 95% of my clients have never gone on RV trips before and they're first-time travelers and renters. Perfect. That's exactly who we're talking to today are those people that are looking at renting an RV with coronavirus this year. It's certainly had a spike with road trips and things like that. So a lot of renting going on. So we are talking to those that have decided to do it, they're looking at renting and we're going to get some tips from you. Just to start with, how do you help people decide what type of RV to rent when you're starting from scratch? Yeah, this is sometimes the hardest question, but it can be pretty easy. I would basically first just decide who you're going with. So the size of your group really is going to dictate on what type of RV you're going to want to rent. If you're one person or a couple, you probably want to go with a smaller RV, a van, They also call those class Bs. If you're a bigger group, I'd say two to four people. I'd go with a midsize class C. So the class Cs are the type of RVs that look a little bit boxier and have a sleeping area over the driving bay and then usually a bed in the back. And if you're a big family, up to seven people I've rented for, and that's a larger class C. So basically, the companies that rent RVs, they have the type of RVs that you would want to drive. So most of the time it's vans or class Cs. So really just deciding who's in your group and how many people you want to fit. That being said, if you're kind of on the verge between a larger vehicle and a smaller vehicle, I usually recommend people to go a little bit smaller. Smaller is usually better in terms of driving and navigating an RV, especially if it's your first time. Okay. So maybe if, as long as it has enough beds that you're looking for, opt on the smaller side, is that kind of the minimum bar that you're trying to get over? Yep, exactly. So if you look at any rentals, they will tell you right up front how many people it will sleep and how many seatbelts are. So at the bare minimum, you want seatbelts for two and a bed for two, all the way up to however many people you're traveling with. Okay. So it sounds like what you just described are everything from the sprinter van type up through all of the regular RVs. We're not talking about the big coaches that look like a tour bus. Right. So those big coaches are usually for full-time RVers. They're really expensive. They're pretty tricky to drive. And I don't ever recommend anyone renting those. 
Okay. Is it common to have those available for rent? You know, there's one company that I know out there out of a dozen or so that does rent them. And I think because they're a little bit harder to drive and maneuver and figure out the systems, they're not a very normal rental. Okay. Who we're speaking to is certainly families. I think it it fits into that class C. So as far as finding one, how can people find them? What are the options there? Yeah. So there's basically two different bags that RV rentals go in. The first would be a commercial company. And those are companies you've probably seen out the road, like Cruise America with a little dog sticking out of the window. There's Road Bear RV, El Monte. So those RV companies are RV rental companies where they produce and rent RVs. That's their main job. All their vehicles are usually within one or two years old. The layouts are all similar. And it's like renting from you know, Avis or Hertz, one of those rental companies. The other bag of RV rentals that you can go for, which are popping up a little bit more now, are people who are renting their own personal or private RVs. So those are similar to the Airbnbs, hotel rentals. So companies that facilitate that are RV share or outdoorsy. And those are more people who own their RVs, but they might not use it all the time. So they rent it out to people when they're not using those. And those can vary. Those aren't quite as standard. They're different sizes, they're different years, different amenities and stuff like that. So you can really think about it as renting an Airbnb versus renting or going to a hotel room at, let's say, the Best Western. Okay. Seems like a lot more variables with the the peer-to-peer rentals. Yeah, peer-to-peer, I would say more variables. Some of them will allow pets, but definitely it's not your standard rental experience. So for some travelers, they might like that personal experience. And sometimes you can get a rental closer to your home, but the commercial companies, that's who Tumbleweed Travel Co., that's who we rent through, the more commercial companies that are a little bit more standard and have standard rentals. Okay, seems like it'd be a little more headache-free, a little safer to go through a company. Yeah, going with a company has a benefit as well because they are required to supply roadside assistance and they also have liability insurance along with their rentals. So it varies with the peer-to-peer companies if they supply roadside assistance and insurance with their rentals. So I think going with a commercial company is less headache and a little bit safer. Okay. All right. So we've worked through deciding a size or a type and then where to go. Can you give a little bit of a rule of thumb on pricing? Is it typically done nightly, weekly? I assume different sizes matter. How can you help people understand a little bit about what they can budget? So it's a little bit tricky in terms of pricing because you have your nightly pricing. So RV companies all talk about per night. So a lot of travel is based per day, but you want to change your thoughts towards nightly pricing. So there's the base price and those really vary depending on when you want to travel. So in the low season, which is usually winter to spring in the fall, you can get an RV rental from 80 to $100 a day. In high season, that same RV can creep up to $350 a day. So that's the base pricing per night. Then on top of that, you also want to budget in your mileage. So if you're traveling, a lot of times they'll charge you for your mileage. So you want to add that up and and do that ahead of time. And also that base price is just paying for your RV. So you'll want a sleep kit in there. If you're close to the RV rental station, you can bring 
your blankets and pillows and towels and stuff, a lot of time it's much easier just to buy a sleep kit and those are priced out per person. And then liability insurance, that's included on the rentals, but you can also buff up your insurance as well. So those are things to think about when you're renting. Okay. And with mileage, is that pretty standard that you're charged extra for that? Yeah, that's very standard. Some companies will include unlimited mileage, but that's very rare. So it's pretty standard to charge for mileage. And a good rule of thought is just to think that you'll be traveling 100 miles a day. If you don't know your direction yet, 100 miles a day is a good way to kind of begin and think about how many miles you'll be using. That's great. That's a good ballpark. All right. So they found their RV. They found a place to get one. They have a little idea on the pricing. So now we're out on the road and you're looking for some place to stay. So there are a few options there as far as campgrounds, there's RV parks, there's even people staying at Walmarts and things like that. So how do campground reservations work? Is it necessary to make those? Right. It really depends on when and where. If you're traveling somewhere very popular in a peak season, I 100% would recommend making campground reservations. If you're traveling somewhere off the beaten path and not a busy season, a lot of times you can call up campgrounds that night and get in. But definitely staying at a proper campsite is something I always suggest. A lot of people mention Walmart parking lots, but it's not something I would go to. It's a little bit stressful. It's loud. Not all Walmarts allow overnight parking. So I definitely suggest making campground reservations. Yeah, it seems like the Walmart thing is something you might do out of necessity, but certainly not. You're not having any fun doing that. Yeah, no, I don't think that's it's a fun way to camp. Right. But in terms of, of making campground reservations, there's a couple of different different types of campground reservations. In my line of work, booking early is always great because then you can get the best campgrounds at the best rates usually. But public, there's two different kind of campgrounds we like to talk about. Public campgrounds, kind of national and state parks. Those are usually in really scenic, beautiful places. And those campgrounds, you can usually get those campsite reservations online in a rolling basis. So usually three months or six months in advance, those campgrounds will open up. Some of them are snatched up literally within two minutes. So Yosemite, those national park campgrounds, you get one chance to click. And if you don't get that one, then you won't be able to camp in the park. However, the second type of campgrounds are private campgrounds. And these aren't in the state and national parks um, in the recreation areas. So these are on private land, and they're organized by private companies. And these are sometimes also just as great as the national and state. The private campgrounds usually are open a year in advance, you can call in or email and they're a little bit easier to make reservations at because they're not as wanted as those in the national parks. But okay. I would definitely yeah, recommend making campground reservations, especially if you're going somewhere popular. Right. I was going to ask, so you mentioned Yosemite. So I assume the big names, the, the most popular national parks, places where everyone's going, Grand Canyon and stuff like that, would that be the popular places? And then the next level down of national parks, you might have a bit more flexibility in getting reservations? Yeah, you got it. And the other thing to think about too, is if you're going near an urban area, so a lot of the campgrounds in Northern California, around San Francisco or LA, those tend to book up early as well, just because there's a lot of people around them. But One of my favorite places is Custer State Park. So that's in South Dakota. And that actually has amazing campgrounds. And I was able to get into a handful of those campgrounds kind of last minute just because they're off the beaten path a little bit. So sometimes you luck out, but booking 
ahead of time is really good if you can plan that way. Okay. Something else I've read about as far as the type of RV you have or trailer and then campgrounds is having the right size so that you can fit in the majority of spots. Is that generally a big factor? Yeah. So that is a big factor. And that is another reason why booking in advance is important. The bigger your RV, the less options you will have in your camping. So if you have a large, a large RV, I would basically say if it's over 30 feet, then you're going to be limiting your camping to more RV parks. Whereas 30 feet or smaller, most state parks and national parks and smaller campgrounds can accommodate RVs that are 30 feet or less. And if you can go even smaller, if you can go 25 feet or less, that's great as well. But basically campground, when you're talking about campgrounds and RVs, when you go to make your bookings, your campsites will accommodate a certain length of RV. So that's another factor you have to think in. It's not just pitching up a tent. If you're looking for a site for your 30-foot RV, you have to look at only the sites in that campground that can fit a 30-foot vehicle. Okay. And then with travel trailers, we're talking mostly about an RV, the type that you drive. And then with the trailer, is it similar? I assume you would have the same length limitations, but that would just be to the trailer, not to the trailer and vehicle. Is that right? Right. Yeah, you got it. So trailers are pretty similar in that your trailer will have a length. And so you'll also have to pick your campsite based on that RV trailer length. And one thing with trailers is trailers can be pretty difficult to back up because you do have that trailer and it can be tricky. So looking at sites that are called pull-through that don't require backing into or backing out of, those are also another thing you want to aim for when you're in a trailer. Okay. And then something else you mentioned with the sites in the campground would be a tent. Is it typical that you have the option to set up a tent at your site as well? You know, that really varies campground to campground. In uh, national and state parks, you usually can set up a tent in private campgrounds, not necessarily. But basically, if if the campground is geared towards RVs, I would say tent camping usually isn't allowed. Whereas if it if it's geared towards all types of camping, then yeah, tent camping is allowed. So it really varies. There's no there's no blanket answer to that one. And then you mentioned driving. So backing up trailers is obviously difficult. But how about the actual drivable RV? What skill level is needed to drive one of those? How difficult are they to handle? Yeah, so this is, I think, a huge thing people get nervous about before deciding to go on a trip like this. But RV rentals, that's what they are made for people who have never really driven RVs before. So really, the only thing you need to rent an RV and drive one is to have a valid driver's license. Most of the rentals are really similar to driving a truck. Driving a trailer is a little bit more difficult, as I mentioned earlier, about backing up and learning how to do that. But driving a self-driving RV where everything's together with you is really, really easy. The tips I would give would be just to take things slow until you get familiar with it. Take turns a little bit more widely. And then whenever you're backing up, just have whoever's with you or a passerby, just make sure that you're backing up kind of safely. And a lot of these modern RVs, they have backup cameras, they have huge mirrors. So they really equip you with all the tools to make it a safe and fun experience. Yeah, you mentioned that's a big, maybe an area of anxiety for people. In your experience, 
do most people do okay with the driving part? Yeah. Again, as I said earlier, about 95% of our clients have never driven an RV before. And a lot of our clients are repeat clients as well. So they come back year after year wanting to do it again. So I think it's a scary thing to think about at first. But once you get in the RV and you drive out of the lot, most people are pretty comfortable with it in about 30 minutes to an hour. Okay. And you haven't seen many problems, people actually having accidents or hitting stuff or anything like that? No, no. I haven't seen many problems like that at all. Okay. And then also on the on the topic of travel trailers, I know this isn't exactly what you do, but a lot of people might want to rent one or find one with a peer-to-peer company, and they're going to pull it with their regular vehicle. Do you know much about weight limits and how that works? Because I think a lot of people they might forget that aspect of it and they might be towing something that's out of their range. Any tips right. there? Yeah. So basically every car you own will have a towing capacity and you need to look at your specific vehicle to see how much that your vehicle can pull. And then in addition, whatever trailer you're looking to rent, that will have a weight capacity as well. So dry weight would be the weight when nothing's loaded in it, you don't have water, you don't have your stuff in it. So you want to ask whoever you're renting it from, what's the wet weight? So how much kind of would be the total weight? And if that total weight of your trailer is over what your personal vehicle is, the towing capacity, then then it's a no-go. So you'll have to figure out a plan B. Okay. In general, do you think like full-size pickups and SUVs are adequate to pull most trailers? Is there a rule of thumb there? Yeah, it depends, again, kind of how big the trailer you're looking at. But a small travel trailer, yeah, SUVs can definitely pull those. The bigger trailers that have slide outs and are, you know, 40 feet long, that will need a a bigger truck to pull. Okay. And then you mentioned like water weight. So I'm thinking about the systems that are in the RV because it's fully plumbed. There's showers, there's sinks, there's everything. How hard are those systems to learn as far as filling them, emptying them? work in the electronics, all of that stuff. Can you speak to that a little bit? So whatever vehicle you rent, the first thing that they're going to do is take you around and show you the systems and how they work. A tip I like to tell our clients is to videotape that walk around just so you can have it as reference because it'll be a lot of information and it's nice to go back and read that stuff. In addition, most rental companies will also have a manual that's very easy to follow if you forget something. But yes, RVs can be fully self-contained. So you have water, you have showers, you have your kitchen, and the systems are pretty user-friendly. I know a lot of people get nervous about dumping the tanks and figuring that out. But again, it's really user-friendly and the rental companies and RV manufacturers make it easy. Pay attention when they do the walk around. And then there's also some great videos on YouTube and stuff like that, just to get a glance and see if that's something you want to do. But really, we have a lot of people who haven't done RVing and that's, I, I don't hear much about dumping or how difficult it was to figure out the systems. Okay. Yeah, I think that can probably seem overwhelming to people, but it's good to hear that in general, it's not an issue. So that's good. What else do people wish that they had known before renting an RV? Do you hear anything from your clients? Yeah. So I think just in terms of trip planning, the biggest thing that's kind of funny about RV rental companies, the commercial ones at least, is they're closed on all Sundays and holidays. So this is something that I don't think people realize because with rental cars, you can rent pretty much any time of the day, any day of the week. But with RV companies, the commercial centers are closed on those days. So don't plan your trip around picking up your RV on a Sunday or dropping it off. 
or a holiday as well. And sometimes those holidays get stacked up with Sundays. So your your pickup window can be either a Friday or a Monday. So that's something I would definitely keep in mind before renting it all is plan your vacation and your flights around not doing anything with the RV companies on Sundays. And then another quick tip too that is good to think about is RV rentals work similar to hotels where Pretty much all companies will check out your RV so you can pick it up in the afternoon and then you'll return it in the morning. So that's something else to organize your trip around. It's similar to checking into a hotel. You can check in in the afternoon and you have to leave in the morning. So plan a little time to get it and then maybe plan to leave the next day on a trip. Yeah, exactly. So picking up your RV, you'll pick it up and get your walk around and want to get your groceries. And by the time you're done with that, it's usually mid to late afternoon. So don't plan on a huge drive. Similarly, they usually want you to drop your RV off before 10 in the morning. So don't plan on an epic drive to get back and drop your RV off in that morning because it'll be a really early day if you do that. Okay. You've covered a lot of tips. Are there any final ones that you'd like to share that come to mind? Planning ahead is a really good thing to do. A couple tips with rentals as well is a lot of RV companies will have really good deals. So when they come out with their new fleets in the spring, there's some great deals where you can pick up the new RVs at the factories and drive them to the rental stations. And a lot of times they'll pretty much pay for your rental for you to do that. And all you have to do is pay for gas. So that's a fun tip I like to share with people if they're looking to save a little bit. How do you find out about that sort of situation? Um, Those are actually published on their website. So they want people to do that. So a lot of the commercial companies are published there on their website. So whether it's Road Bear or El Monte or Cruise America, you can look on their website and they usually have a specials page and it'll show specials. Those are called relocation specials. Another special a lot of the companies run are one-way specials. So if they end up with a lot of RVs in San Francisco, say, they'll run specials to try and get them out to their other locations. So they'll run specials if you want to drive from San Francisco to Las Vegas, one-way specials like that. So that's a good tip if you want to do a fun trip like that. And then also just booking in the spring or the fall. It's a nice time to travel and it's also you can get away from the crowd. Those are also a great time to save some money on your RV rentals. Well, that's great. Brooke, thank you very much. There's a lot of great information, a lot of great tips for people that are first-time renters. I appreciate it. Where can people find you online? Where should we send them? Oh, for sure. You can find us at tumbleweedtravelco.com. We're also on Instagram, Twitter. We have a blog. And if you want to give us a call, you can call us at 717-4RV-TRIP. Awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Great. Thanks a lot. I hope you enjoyed our talk with Brooke. If you are renting an RV for the first time this summer, you are definitely better prepared. I have the usual favor to ask. I would love to get the word out about the show. If you can share it with a friend, that would be great. If you can leave a review, leave a rating. All of this helps. I appreciate it very much. Thanks again. Safe travels. Safe travels.